God be with you. So before we get into anything, um, I don't think I've ever given a disclaimer before a sermon, but a disclaimer. Despite what it will soon sound like, this is not the same sermon as a sermon you heard two weeks ago. Whether it was by accident or as I choose to believe on purpose, maybe due to God's sense of humor. I created a sermon on the very same topic that Michael Ward gave you two weeks ago. Two weeks ago on Sunday, he preached a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. And then on the Monday, I wrote a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. Um, And I had no idea until I listened to the podcast. And for anyone who's like, what's the Lord's Prayer? Uh, Which is a fair question, because we don't really call it that anymore. Um, it's the prayer that we always pray, the prayer that goes, Our Father, who art in heaven, how, yeah, 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 that one. So while at first it was an oops kind of thing, over the past few days, I think it's actually an oops but not really kind of thing. Because not only did he speak on the other Lord's Prayer, yes, there are two of them, uh, more to the point He's not me, and I'm not him. He's got a different voice than I do. He's got a different perspective than I do. And when it comes to these stories, when it comes to exploring life, when it comes to learning and going into our spirituality together, we need all the voices that we can get. Because it's there in that diversity and in that tension that we can discover just how big and beautiful the world actually is, and how we can better live within it together. So this morning, we're going to go ahead with what we planned, with another sermon on that prayer that we always say. And I wanted to do this this morning because all summer we're taking time out to talk about why we do the things that we do. We're asking, why do we do things like singing? Why do we shake hands and pass the peace? Why do we pray? Why do we hear sermons? And the hope is that by doing this, by talking about those things, we can get not just the why do we do them, but we can get to the point where we can enter into those things a bit more boldly, a bit more intentionally, with a bit more purpose. Because it's there in those things that we can find transformation, we can feel God pulling us into new ways of being, we can find that life that we're all here looking for. And I wanted to talk about the Lord's Prayer because it, maybe more than anything we do outside of communion, is right up there on the things that we always, 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 always do. No matter what church you go to, no matter what tradition you're a part of, no matter what Sunday you show up, there's always the Lord's Prayer. And if you're old enough, you would remember even saying it in school. It's been a part of our lives in so many different ways. But the thing with those things that we always, 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 always do is that sometimes they can become so familiar that they become unfamiliar. These things can become so rote, so habitual, so memorized that we forget why we even do them in the first place. 
We just end, we just end up doing them without any head or out, without any heart. And when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, that's a problem. Because there's a reason why we say these 66 words every single Sunday. We pray this prayer because it takes us into the very heart of what Jesus is all about. It takes us right into what it means to be human and alive in this world. We pray it because, as Michael said last week, it's a dangerous prayer. Because when we truly pray it, this prayer has the power to change everything. We pray it because this prayer can take us deeper into that life, into that grace and that peace that we're here looking for. So today, a few things and then a few things. A few things about how to approach this prayer that we're about to hear. And then a few things about the prayer that we always say. And then we'll end by praying it together. Hopefully in a renewed sense. Hopefully holding it in a different way. Does that sound good? Are you with me? All right. So as I said, there's two prayers in the Bible that we call the Lord's Prayer. There's one in Matthew. There's one in Luke. Michael Ward spoke about the one in Luke. We're going to talk about the one in Matthew. Uh, partially because it's I like it better. Uh, but more so, it's the one that we say in church. It's the one that you'll be familiar with. And so we find it in the Gospel according to Matthew. And it goes like this. The disciples asked, Rabbi, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus answered, When you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Rather, here's how to pray. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense her grace. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. So, the first thing. One thing to help us know how to hold this story and what to do with this prayer. So as we enter into that story we heard about the disciples asking how to pray, we're right smack in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically Jesus giving his sermon of all sermons. It's him laying down his platform. He's letting everyone know just who he is, why he's here, and what he's all about. Which is important to know, 
because it helps us frame and understand why we're hearing this story about the disciples asking how to pray. There's something in here that's connected to the point of his sermon. There's something in this story about this prayer that invites us into understanding who God is, how this world is meant to work, and what it means to be human and alive within it. So before we even get to the prayer, we have a sense of why the gospel writer is giving us this story here. We have a sense of how we're supposed to hold this prayer that Jesus is giving us. Second thing. Now, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I was super confused by the disciples' question. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? I mean, it seems like such a strange question. Did they not know how to pray before this? Had they never prayed before? I mean, it's pretty stock. Close eyes, bow head, talk to God. It's not that difficult. But as I've learned over the years, it's not what the question is getting at. There's more going on here. If you were a disciple of a rabbi, just like the disciples were to Jesus, one of the standard questions that you would eventually ask your rabbi was, can you teach us how to pray? Now, it wouldn't be a question about mechanics. You're not looking for, how, teach me literally how to pray. It's a question of substance. It's a question of what do I pray? Rabbis would use prayer as a way of conveying the very essence of how they understood faith and spirituality. It's how they showed how they saw the world and what they thought was of ultimate value. If you go and study other rabbis, you'd see some of them would answer their disciples' questions with a prayer about studying Scripture and listening to God's Word. Do that and then you'll find life as it was meant to be. You'll find other rabbis talk about simple living. Go sell your possessions, move out into the wilderness. There you'll find life. Other rabbis will talk about justice and caring for the poor. So disciples going to Jesus and asking this, it wasn't just normal, but it was actually a pretty huge, big deal. It showed them what Jesus is all about. It showed them what was on his heart. It showed them just what they were getting into. It was a disciple's way of seeing just what are we getting into with this Jesus guy? What is he about? Where is he taking us? Oh, let's ask him how to pray. Then we can find out the answer to that. And that leads us to the third thing. The disciples aren't asking what to think. They're asking what to pray. They're not asking Jesus for a book on what he believes. They're asking him for a prayer. And prayer at its most basic, if you strip it all down, prayer is opening yourself up to the, the divine. And not simply in the sense of talking to God. Prayer is not ringing God up on the phone and asking for stuff. Prayer is way deeper than that. Rachel Held Evans talks about prayer as tuning in to the right music. 
It's about opening ourselves up to hear the divine music around us. It's about finding God's groove and letting that music, letting that rhythm, letting that groove shape how we live and move and have our being, shaping how we exist in this world. So prayer is transformative. Prayer is an act of alignment. It's an act of allegiance. It's this way of becoming more and more and more the kinds of people that God created us to be. So when the disciples ask how to pray, they aren't just asking for Jesus' one-on-one on who God is and what God is doing in this world. They're asking how can we become a part of it. Are you with me so far? So that brings us into the prayer itself. Now I once sketched out how long this would take us to go through in a sermon series. It was ten weeks. Ten weeks of going line by line through the Lord's Prayer to really get at the heart of what this thing is talking about. But we won't go that crazy. We're not going to cram ten weeks of stuff into one sermon. I promise. We won't go too crazy. We won't nerd out too much. Um, Just a few things about three different parts of this prayer. Three things to help us hear what it's saying. Three things to help us enter into it and pray it a bit more boldly, a bit more intentionally. So the first thing, you can tell a lot about why we pray this prayer from the first two words, our Father. Who are we praying to? Our Father. Now for a lot of people, these first two words are really, really hard to stomach, which is totally legit and totally fair. If someone has had an abusive, absent, or ambivalent father figure in their life, it can be really hard, almost impossible, to see God as a father. That wound and baggage can can become so big where it's just, it's not possible. It's not doable. And this is why we give you a few options when we say it around father, mother, creator, We try to not use exclusively masculine pronouns because of that reason. It's a way to help people not only feel safe, but it also reminds us that at the end of the day, God's literally not a mother or a father. God transcends and includes both of those images. Those are just words trying to talk about the indescribable. Which makes me ask, well, then why did Jesus use those words? Why didn't Jesus go something more neutral, something more inclusive, like creator? I mean, he's all about inclusivity, after all. Why not just go, God, our creator, and everyone's like, yeah, I can get in on that. So why did he use father? Why did he use parental language? I don't think it was an accident. When Jesus uses that word, he's using a very particular kind of language. It's called household language. It was language about the home. In the first century Middle East, the father, the mother, the parents, they were the ones who ran the household. They were the ones who ran the home. They were the ones who ordered it, 
The house was under their guidance and their protection. When it came to what happens under this roof, they were the ones who set the rules and controlled the thermostat. And Jesus is doing something really beautiful here by using household language. Regardless of whether we say our father or our mother or our parent, Jesus is giving us an insight on who God actually is. That God isn't a God who's somewhere else, far away, distant, and detached. This God who really has no interest in our lives and this world. But rather, God is like a parent watching over their household. God is like a God who sees the earth as his home. He sees us as a people living within it. That God is here intimate and close, running and ordering things, protecting things, caring for and sustaining it. That God is like a God who's creating a home for us all to be a part of. And whose father is it? Whose mother is it? Ours, yeah. It's not just mine, not just yours, not just ours, not just theirs, but ours. To pray to God as our father or our mother isn't just this beautiful reminder about whose house we live in. It's also a reminder of who we're living with. To pray these opening words reminds us that, okay, we all belong here. I have a place in this world. I am being looked after. We are being looked after. This is a God to whom we all belong. Second thing, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I imagine Jesus teaching the disciples this prayer, I can imagine doing kind of what we do during children's time sometimes, where we get the kids to repeat line by line after us. And so Jesus is like, yeah, gather around guys, repeat after me, our Father, And the disciples are like, oh man, this is such a great prayer. Our Father, that's beautiful. God is like a God of a household. I'm loved, I'm protected. That's amazing, Jesus, I'm with you. And then I imagine Jesus kind of opening one eye and and watching his disciples. Because this next line is a doozy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What kind of word is kingdom? It's a political word. It's a way of describing a certain kind of political realm. This area that is under the control of someone. And now in Jesus' day, to use the word kingdom was to speak of a very particular kind of kingdom, a very particular kind of political control a very particular kind of way of of ordering and shaping the world. The way of Rome, the way of empire, the Pax Romana, this way of oppression and power and violence, greed and destruction. It was a way the disciples knew very well. It's a way that shaped everything around them. And they knew what happened if you got in the way of that kingdom. You get crucified. You'd get killed. 
to get in the way of that kingdom meant death. And everyone knew what it meant to mess with the kingdom. So maybe we can imagine the look on the disciples' faces when Jesus got them to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? God's kingdom come here? That's treason. That's a direct threat to the powers that be. That's a death sentence. That's to ask for a new way and a new world, a different ordering of things. That's as radical and subversive as you, as you can possibly get. And even 2,000 years later, it's still as radical and subversive as you can get. Because the truth is, we all live under the same kind of kingdom as the disciples did, don't we? In one way or another, we're all living under this way of oppression, of violence, of greed, and destruction. Whether it's addiction, loneliness, hustle culture, systemic poverty, racism, patriarchy, or something else altogether. We all know what it's like to live in a world where there's a boot on our neck. We all know what it's like to live in a world where if we act out of line, if we get out of place, the consequence is going to be a certain kind of death. We still live, live under that threat, don't we? And it's here where we can find the real scandal of the Lord's prayer. To pray this prayer is to call into existence a new reality and a new world. Not the world that we live in, not the world that we know, but a different one. One that's in heaven, one that's of God. One defined not by violence and greed, just injustice and oppression, but by peace, by generosity, by freedom, by love. And perhaps the most scandalous part of it all, as Richard Rohr put it, we can't pray your kingdom come unless we are willing to say my kingdom go. Yeah. We can't pray your kingdom come unless we are willing to say my kingdom go. There's some real intention and surrender when we pray that line. And for those of us who more often than not are the ones who hold power, are the ones who take part in ordering this world, this is not an easy line for us to pray. Because it means loss, it means surrender, it means sacrifice, it means risk. We can't actually pray it unless we are willing to make room for a new kind of world to exist. And finally, maybe the weirdest and most confusing part of the whole thing. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. It's weird and confusing for me at least, because why would we be praying for God to lead us not into temptation? I mean, isn't God a God of love? 
Like, is that something I should worry about God doing? Like, when I'm trying to eat better, should I worry about God making a plate of cookies appear and God sitting back with a bowl of popcorn to see what I do? Is God a God who actually tempts? Now, we could say yes, and we could do a deep dive into Jewish theology. But as fun as that would be, uh, more importantly and more powerfully, here's a way we can pray this line. If prayer is an act of alignment, if it is about finding our groove, if it is an invitation into a particular way to live, prayer is also an act of making sure we're going in the right direction. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation. What we're really doing is asking for the strength to not become the very thing we're praying against and trying to escape. Because the truth is, if we're really going to get honest, sometimes we kind of want to do that, don't we? Sometimes when we experience hurt and violence and greed, sometimes when we're experiencing oppression, we want to be tempted to do some really bad stuff, don't we? We kind of want to come down off the high road and get even. We kind of want to punch back, don't we? We have these feelings within us and we're tempted to let them out. Jesus' day was no different than ours. We all want to do that. People wanted permission to fight violence with violence. Whether it was to get even or to ease their pain, people wanted the justification to hurt someone the way they've been hurt. Well, they're doing it, so I might as well do it. Well, if they did, it must be okay. They stole from me, so I'm going to steal from them. Anyone know what that feeling's like? Yeah, we all do. But the thing is, that won't lead us anywhere new. That won't bring us into that life and world we're looking for. That won't lead to liberation. I think Jesus put this line in that prayer as a way to check ourselves, as a way to take check of what's going on within us. What am I feeling? And it's a way for us to check those temptations and keep moving in the right direction, away from what is evil and the destruction that can bring, and towards a life that is good, holy, and creative. So just a few things in there for you. But hopefully those few things can help us better enter into this prayer, behold this power and vision, and let it pull us into a deeper, fuller way of life. And so we're going to pray it now. And as we do, let's remember what Jesus is trying to get us to do and know as we enter into this. That while this is a deeply personal prayer, it's also deeply political. It's not just about us and our relationship with God. It's also a prayer about our world. 
from the beginning all the way to the end. It's a prayer that invites us to join in on what God is doing in this world, bringing back everyone into the home, making this world more like the one in heaven. So we can't pray this willy-nilly. We can't do this just because it's something we've always done. If we're doing it just because, we shouldn't do it at all because we miss the very point of why Jesus gave it to us to pray. It's a prayer to be new kinds of people who, in the very same breath, invite down and move out to create a new kind of world. And so as people who are looking to Jesus to find a new world and a new life, as people who are looking to understand just what he's all about, we join the disciples in asking that question. And we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So let us pray it together. Our Mother, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.